Welcome to the Performance Observatory podcast, the home of everyday ethnomusicology, where we discuss the music that we make and the music that makes us. This is our third episode, so welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about the difference that venues make. And of course, we can't talk about this without addressing 2020 and the COVID pandemic. It is right now August of 2021. We're 18 months into the pandemic. Many independent venues, the majority of independent venues, are still waiting for government assistance that was granted to them through the Shuttered Venue Operations Grants. As of July, a month ago, NEVA, which is the National Independent Venue Associations, they still believe that 90% of their 3,000-member venues are at risk of closing permanently. The Shuttered Venue Operations Grant, which was put into place about six months ago, it's a $16 billion grant, of which only $720 million has been paid out to venues. That's 4.5% of the funds allocated for independent venues that have been paid. There's, of course, the obvious repercussions of any venue closing. There's local economy and there's national economy repercussions. Obviously, job losses, bankruptcies, foreclosures, all the things that domino from people losing their jobs and a business not being able to pay their their bills and their, their debts. Additionally, with different venues closing, they also cause a gap in the network of venues that artists, booking agents, managers all know to plan for whatever tour musicians embark on. So when those gaps become significant, there could be additional venues that become isolated from that chain within the industry and cause booking agents, managers, and artists to question whether or not the expense of traveling to that particular venue is economically feasible, which of course will severely impact that venue's ability to stay in business. It would mean that possibly they don't have the artists to select from that they once did. They will probably have to look to developing artists instead of established artists. They may have to rely more on local artists than regional or nationally touring artists. Of course, these are all things that small business and business in general run into on a regular basis, pandemic or no pandemic. But it's yet another circumstance which will force the hand of what may already be a struggling venue to, of course, take another step towards closure. And with enough gaps in the network for touring, there will be countless changes in all venues and in touring in general. 
we'll find that expenses for fans possibly skyrocket. Ticket prices are already precarious. The expenses that anyone incurs to go to a show are, are far above and beyond an actual ticket price. If there is basically a entertainment desert created through the closures of various venues, then people will have to travel further to enjoy an event. Not that many people don't travel already to see shows, depending on the artist. It's an expense that at this juncture, with a pandemic and recovery, that we can't really expect fans to take on. So then we have the domino effect of not possibly selling out every show or shows selling nearly as well as they have in the past. And it may be that fans are then redirected to other forms of entertainment. Or it could be that different forms of musical entertainment have an uptick, which won't in any way convert to the same economic impact for an artist that a live engagement would. These are all things that the industry as a whole is looking at as recovery starts to crawl along. In addition to that, when venues close and we see these gaps in, in the tour cycle, it obviously creates more competition over the stages that are still available. And this could be a fringe benefit to the venues. They'll be able to be more selective, possibly, with the acts that they do schedule. It could be that they can create more than one event for each day. But there's going to be a severe impact on the artists either way, whether they're going to find difficulty in obtaining opportunities to perform and to make their income, and whether or not their value will remain the same to the venues because everyone is struggling to come back. There's also the cultural impact when venues close. We don't always acknowledge the cultural impact that an independent venue has in its community. We don't necessarily see that a corner bar who has newbie bands coming in just to have something to, to listen to beyond the jukebox, or we don't necessarily think that a singer-songwriter venue is really bringing anything into a particular neighborhood itself. But they're the reason, oftentimes, that we choose to come together, that we choose to experience each other and the music together as a means of forming community and enjoying community. So when we see venues close, there's less opportunity for people to share an experience and therefore share a part of themselves. There's something less that we have in common than we had when a venue was still in business. One of the things that is also personally for me very sad is that there's a loss of history. It's something that we take for granted a great deal, particularly here in the States, 
possibly because we are so young, I'm, I'm not sure, young as a country. But there's something about the history of a venue. There was a conversation I was having with family members just a few days ago about a local movie theater. It's in the Art Deco style, and it was something that my family had enjoyed for three generations before there was a change to the venue itself as a theater. And some of the theaters that are well-known, particularly here in the, the Northeast, have a long history where they began under varied circumstances. There are those that were originally speakeasies and have that rebellious, tawdry feel to them still, where knowing that history makes you feel just a little bit rebellious yourself by inhabiting that space that other rebels previously to you had inhabited. And that also gives you a, a sense of history for the locale and the community that you've been a part of for so long. So these closures represent both a loss of history that we've had and the loss of history that we're creating. We all have the opportunity to leave room for growth, but there's a sense of loss for those who come after us not to have the same experience in those settings as, as we have. Places like the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, New Jersey, there was a number of times when they struggled and the community came together to save the Stone Pony. It was sold by order of a bankruptcy court in 1991. They changed it over to a dance club in 98 and thankfully in 2000 it came back as the, the Stone Pony. And that was all because of the history of the venue and the identification that the residents and the fans and the artist and the audience all had for being able to say, I was at the Stone Pony when I saw so-and-so at the Stone Pony. I was there at the Stone Pony. And the same thing can be said for CBGB's up in New York. It opened in December of 73 and sadly due to disputes with its landlord, some what, 50 years later in 2006? Am I doing my math right? Yeah. No. It closed in 2006, all because of disputes with the landlord. And that all came down to economics. It took a year for CBGBs to close. They spent a year allowing people to come, whether they were artists, fans, or audience members to come back and experience CBGBs one last time. And there are documented pilgrimages that people took from all over around the world just simply to revisit CBGBs, re-experience CBGBs, and for many, experience it for the first and the last time, just to be able to say that they did. This is all going on all around us 
because of the pandemic, because life in the music industry is always precarious. We see, you know, the major conglomerations that we have at, at the top of the, the apex of the industry, but those that are in the majority of the industry are the independents. And they're the ones that are making history. It's the independents that are making the changes and, and fueling the vitality of the industry as a whole. It's the independent sector where we have people making the memories that are based in creation, in seeing things happen before them for the very first time. So because of the pandemic, we've already seen hundreds of venues closed. In Atlanta, there was a hip hop club called The Music Room that is gone. The I.O. Theater in Chicago was a brilliant comedy venue. Here in Philadelphia, a very historical jazz center, Warm Daddies, is gone after being in business for 25 years. In Nashville, Douglas Corner Cafe is closed. San Francisco, after 30 years, a venue named Slim's that was owned by Boss Gags finally closed. Rebar in Seattle was open for 30 years hosted the likes of Nirvana. It is closed. They hope to reopen in a different location, but at this point, that could be highly unlikely. And of course, in Washington, D.C., U Street Music Hall, that's closed as well. And you may not know the names of all of these venues. You may not know the names of any of these venues, but the impact that they had on their community and the impact that they had on the music scene for that community is invaluable and unquantifiable and valuable beyond belief. And now they're gone. And we don't know what is going to take their places. We don't know what the physical venues will be moving forward. And we don't know what venues may rise up out of those ashes. And all of this makes me think of a project I took on at the very end of 2019. I intended it to be an ethnography of a particular touring musician, and it was all inspired by seeing them perform after a bit of a hiatus of a few years, and it being a very different experience that I had watching this particular musician. I spent, I guess, about four months traveling the Northeast quadrant of the United States, going to about 10 shows with this artist where they were the, the headliner. And it really drove home for me what I already knew, what I already experienced, but I wanted to make sure that I could experience it outside of the bubble of my own personal experience, outside of what I knew as a Philadelphian, a Philadelphian who had seen performers at almost every venue that's ever popped up from our grounds. And get out of the comfort zone of the venues that I know and see the musician that I know very well in different settings to greater, to gain a greater understanding of experiencing them in different settings outside of ones we already shared. And it really drove home that venues truly have a vibe. 
and it's created by the ownership, of course, and the management. The, the motivation to open up an independent venue, it's not always the same, but there's such a high risk to the reward that it takes a substantial amount of personal investment and pride and passion to take on that struggle. The vibe is also very much, pun intended, cemented in the structure itself. Whenever someone looks at a location and says, this would make a great club, this would be a great bar, this would be a great live venue, there's something about the actual structure that they're in that inspires that thought. And it's not necessarily just the structure itself, just the architecture. It's also the neighborhood. There's always the question of entrances and egresses and traffic patterns and and all of that. But beyond those practicalities, there's also the neighborhood and the vibe of the neighborhood and what bringing a crowd of people brings to that location. And all of that contributes to what's created inside and on stage. There's definitely an inspiration that any owner, manager, etc. has when they're selecting a venue where they have an idea as to who would be playing at their venue, who they want to bring together to experience music. And I can hear critics saying, you know, it's all an economic decision. And there is certainly business plans and decisions made based on economics. That's certain. There's no arguing against that. But determining what you want to share with other people, any club, any venue is going to be saying, this is the genre the style, the generation of music that we want to cater to. And so therefore, we're going to do this. We're going to welcome in these people, this art. And that's what creates the community that enjoys that setting. Of course, the vibe is also created and controlled by the artists on stage. Suffice it to say, Artists that play at CBGB's aren't playing at other places. You can take the Sex Pistols, you can take Blondie, you can take Iggy Pop, all of them, and say, hey, would you like to play Warm Daddies in Philadelphia? It's a great little jazz place. And they would look at you and go, no, we don't do jazz. (laughs) And certainly nobody at a jazz place is going to be like, yeah, have have Iggy come along with his can of peanut butter and, you know, let's just get together. It's it's just not the crossover that anybody's looking for. Although, it could be highly entertaining. <laughs> but that kind of dedication to a particular genre, a particular generation, a particular style, is what helps a venue build its reputation. And... That reputation plays to the artist as well as the audience. It doesn't matter if it's CBGBs. It doesn't matter if it's the Stone Pony or Warm Daddies or Madison Square Garden. They all have their reputations for the reasons that they have them. And those are the kind of things that fans 
and musicians both understand almost intrinsically by paying attention to what plays there. We understand the vibe that we're going into. I knew going to Warm Daddy's that it was going to be a relaxed situation. It was going to be a contemplative situation. Whereas going to another club in Philly like Doc Watson's, I knew that it was going to be loud. I knew that it was going to be communal. And I knew that it was just going to be based on enjoyment. So the reputation of the genre, the reputation of the artist, the reputation of the venue all coalesce. And that's what kind of triggers the vibe along with the history of, of the venue and the artist. So that that way you really bring together the sense of community. So I really want to have everyone think about the venues that they really enjoy the most. The, the ones where you think to yourself, that's going to be a good show. Or you think to yourself, that would have been something amazing to see. I know so many people in various online communities and fans that I've spoken to and a few musicians as well who hold up David Bowie's recording of his concert at Philadelphia's Tower Theater as a moment that they wish that they had participated in. It's it's one of those events where they're like, oh, I can't believe that he played the tower. I can't believe what it sounded like. I can only imagine what it felt like to be there. And they'd be right. And that goes for every venue. It really does. The one venue that was here in Bryn Mawr, pretty close to my hometown, it was the Point in in Bryn Mawr. And it was a place where in the 70s, everybody came through there. Once I came of age, it, it was mind-blowing to me that so many different people played at that venue because it really was just a teeny tiny place along um, the main thoroughfare that was very innocuous. It was a very simple, simple place. And still the likes of Springsteen played there. Jim Croce played there. And so many other people of that time and, and that genre during the 70s were there and the building is still there. It's still part of this, the same strip of stores and merchants. And when I walk in there, well, I haven't walked in there for a, a number, number, number of years. Last I was there, it was a, a coffee shop and I walked in there and it was a sad experience because it was, it was almost as if the vibe was being held hostage in the walls and the history wanted to basically come out and come alive again, but it was stagnated by the fact that it was just a quiet little coffee shop now. And that's going to be the case for hundreds of venues that were shuttered because of the pandemic. They'll turn into something else and the memory of them will fade, but the culture that they created is also in danger of fading. We'll always have the memories. We'll always have the music. But there's always going to be something lacking in the fact that that venue 
no longer exists. And with the risks still to so many other venues, it's that much more of our culture, of our experience, of our history that is at risk. So my only hope is that the SBA is able to start really going through and providing the aid to the independent venues according to the um, shuttered venue operations bill and provide some support to the venues that need it and to enable the artists to come back and everyone start to understand what it really is for us to rebuild, recapture, and re-engage with the cultural elements that the live experience affords us. Thank you so much for coming and visiting us with the Performance Observatory podcast. Again, we're the home of Everyday Ethnomusicology, where we discuss the music that we make and the music that makes us. Next time is going to be our lovely fourth episode, and that's where I hope to bring forth to you the ethnography that I did of a still-yet-to-be-named artist back in 2019. Until then, we'll see you around.